The following is a KPV Media Works production. Choose your fighter. And we're on. Welcome to another episode of KPB Cast, guys. Raphael here with Kurt Vincent, director and producer of uh, The Lost Arcade, a documentary about legendary arcade Chinatown Fair. Before we go on with our interview, I'd like to just give you guys a heads up. The podcast is available on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, all those platforms. Of course, video is going to be on Twitch. It's going to be premiering on Twitch soon. Afterwards, you could grab it on YouTube. And of course, I want to give a, a little bit of a shout out to affiliate Acquire Clothing and Saltamia Art. Check them out. You know, you can get some pretty good uh, apparel there. And with that, Kurt, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you? Not bad, not bad. Once again, man, thank you for uh, joining us. And mainly this uh, um, podcast, guys, is going to be about the Lost Arcade. This is the guy who brought it to you. If you haven't seen it already, it is on Prime Video. It's a really great, great documentary, especially if you've passed some time at that arcade, which I did a lot. So, Kurt, how did you told me uh, before we we started this that you really don't have much of a background in the FGC. You came onto the FGC because of the documentary. So, what part, uh, sparked an interest in you to make a documentary based on this arcade? Well, dude, we ended up at Chinatown Fair. When I say we, I mean my partner Irene. She's she's my lady. She's my filmmaking partner. She's um, she's half of the equation. And what uh, we ended up at Chinatown Fair one night. It was a Friday night in February 2010. And it was maybe 11 o'clock, and the place was alive, man. And, and Street Fighter Four had just come out uh, relatively yes. recently. And the shit was on fire, man. Uh, can I curse on this? Of course you can. It's the internet. All right, cool. Um, yeah, man, we were just like, you know, there was like literally people drinking 40s discreetly in the back, you know, smoking blunts out front. And at the same time, it was like really welcoming and, and just positive energy in the whole place. And we weren't, we're not gamers. I love video games. I'm a very casual player. I'm a fan of uh, good games and having a good time. With that said, I wasn't like a, I'm not good at Street Fighter, but I, I like recognized the game, right? I recognize that these guys, and they were mostly guys uh, on those cabinets, were doing something at a high level. And on top of it, just looking around the arcade, we were like, man, this place is really special. Like, it just, it's just fun to be in. And then we heard that it was going to close, and uh, it was on Reddit, and that's how we heard the rumor it was going to close. And we just picked up a camera and started filming. That's how I really. I met a few of the guys. I met Anthony Cali, who goes by Helgen, and Henry Sen, who, who, um, Golden Sen, the legendary New York player and open next level. Uh, those guys sort of introduced us to the fighting game community, and, and that became really inspiring to us. So, just to rewind a little bit, so you and your lady, you, you guys were just randomly out one night and you stumble upon this, upon this arcade? We were going to Bar 169 in um, off the Bowery in Chinatown, and I left my ID at home, literally, and I couldn't get in. And I said, well, hey, like, this gives us, you know what's nearby? And our, I, I'd read about, I'd heard about 
Chinatown Fair Arcade. And we were like, let's go. They're not going to make me, you know, you don't need an ID to get in an arcade. Right. So So that's how we ended up there, for real. You go in there and you said it yourself, you see this atmosphere. And that's actually one of the things I do enjoy about the film, even though, even though maybe a lot of people don't really like it because I've had plenty of uh, other guests on this show talking about that arcade, even though it was grimy, dirty, it was still a welcoming feeling. And you said you met some of the guys there like Henry San and Anthony, and they introduced you to what competitive gaming is. And uh, right. let's take each one. I would like to take each one. You know, Anthony, um, right off the bat on the on the documentary, I like to think he's more like a, a setter for it. Like you see him taking mm-hmm. all these photos. You see, uh, he, like he said it himself, he wants to document this because at the right. time, not many people wanted to grab a camera and uh, started taking photos. I because like you said, it was closing down, and that that really hit home with a lot of people. But even so, when you just like you still only had a fraction of a time uh, of the time a lot of those guys and girls in there had mm-hmm. was it the family I, I guess the, the togetherness and it was it felt like a big family is that what caused you to pick yeah. up your camera your film camera and just you know do this documentary you know it's not what it's not what honestly what really got us to pick up the camera in the very first place was just the fact that the arcade um seemed like it was the last of its kind and i and if it was going to and if it was going to close i thought that somebody should document it kind of like what anthony felt he he had personal reasons i more had historical reasons and thinking oh like no one else is going to do this so like i should at least show up and and see what i capture now and, and it was based on the fact that it was this grimy cool place full of cool people doing something that I thought was cool. But then once I met Anthony and Henry and they started talking to me about how, oh yeah, Sam Palmer, that guy's like my second father. Um, this arcade, I spent more time at this arcade than I did at home. You know, it's like, um, that's when we realized, oh damn, this place is like, this. there's like a real story to tell here. Um, of course. That's, deserving of a, of a full documentary and even you know and some some people that watch the documentary some of the haters which there's always going to be haters they're like does this really need a full film and i'm like you're missing the point like this this is uh you're not grasping how important this culture and this community was and still remains to be to these people i'm surprised you're saying that some people were actually saying why does this uh deserve a a full film. I mean, if if you're asking why, then I guess you just didn't live it. That place was so legendary, yeah. especially for us New York players, even for people who came out from the West Coast gamers who let's go visit the legendary Chinatown Fair. Um, how did you go about it at the beginning? Uh, you know, who obviously you talked to Henry Sen, you talked to Anthony, and I'm sure later on you talked to uh, Kuma Hokoru, I believe yeah, that's Kuma how you Hokura. last name. Shout you out also talked to Stan. That, there you go, man. Shout out to him. And you also, of course, talked to Sam. And he yeah. basically uh, told us how he came across this thing. It was very interesting that he just had a dream of all this coins coming down on him. But Isn't I'm like, crazy? what is the process? <laughs> I know, right? It's really awesome. I mean, <laughs> whenever I tried to talk to him, it, it was kind of hard because he's always busy. But I mean, oh, you, you know, met Sam? Into your... I'm sorry? You met Sam? I met, I met him when I used to go down there and we didn't have like the relationship that Henry and him had, 
But you know, sure, but I, I you had got a few to chance interact. To talk yeah. to him. Great guy, of course, yes. But take us, you know, take us into the mind of a film director. How does a project like this get to um, get put together? Well, I feel like Sam actually is the. I, I think when we realized that Sam played such a big part in these people's lives and in the and in the fact like Chinatown Fair, like in terms of business, it was a very difficult business to make profitable during different stretches in time. Post 9-11, um, that whole oh, neighborhood, yes. Chinatown was blocked off. I mean, no, nobody was going to the arcade. Uh, on top of it, there was just like not a lot of arcade games being made. So Sam was like driven, you know, he was driven by make to make money, but at some point you got to start looking at the numbers and, and Henry really, told me that like Sam at some point started doing it because it was like really important to him for his own reasons. And that's when I realized like, oh, that's a really compelling story to tell when you've got this guy, Sam Palmer, and then you've got all these these younger people that that sort of made up this ragtag arcade family. Um, and so as a filmmaker, you see those things and you're like, oh, I know I could do something with this. And that's, you know, and then I did a Kickstarter I was like an early Kickstarter back in 2011 and, you know, we raised a little bit of money. It wasn't enough, but we raised some and, and uh, that led to a little bit more money from IGN, who um, was a great supporter early on, even though uh, some asshole writer, uh, first off, they shouldn't have reviewed the film because they funded it. But then the dude like wrote honestly one of the worst reviews, like the one of the most scathing reviews of the film. Like we got a we, we got a positive review in the New York Times, but the IGN for some reason gave us a bad one. Whatever. Okay. But before odd. that, they were very supportive of the film. And by the way, uh quick quick shout out to Sam because like you said, it like he took it on as a personal level thing. I mean he said it himself, yeah. everybody there might as well have been family. And who would have thought that him, you know, um an Indian guy who's never had anything to do with video games, but he knew how to fix electronics. He just comes on and decides to buy this thing, and he lasted as long as he did. And one of the one one of the things about the title again, the Lost Arcade. By all means, even the film itself, and you got some great archival footage. At Chinatown yeah. Fair, how it managed to be the last one that survives. It it really is amazing, considering what you said. Post nine eleven, that place was you know shut down. It was such a hole in the wall. Okay, we had the tic-tac-toe chicken, but even then, I, like after a while, that 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 wasn't the reason why people went down there. It really is a testament to how much he really wanted that place to last. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know if I ever truly figured out why, but I I think I think it does have a lot to do with the people, the the relationships he found at the arcade. I think. I think in the arcade, he found a lot of freedom and he really enjoyed his, you know, his role in the community that, that formed around the games there. It was a cool, it was a cool vibe. Of course, definitely. So, um, we go from Anthony, like you said, he was, uh, taking pictures there. You could clearly tell the guy was very passionate about the place, but then you move on to two, um, two other people, Henry Sen who's very passionate about the business, but he looks he, he looks at it from a business side of things. He's still a gamer, 
It's still uh, he's still a competitive gamer in his heart, but he knows where the business is going. And then of course you have Akuma, who clearly represents the hardcore gamer, the person who loves Chinatown Fair, who didn't want to see it to die. Um, take us into take us into your mind when you see these two different characters. You know they're 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 obviously both there for the same love of the place. I believe, uh, yeah, they both were workers there. I'm very positive. But mm-hmm. you know the different perspectives. How do you how, how did you see that? Well, Henry right away. We knew Henry had to be a main character in the story of Chinatown Fair um, because he because Sam didn't know the games right. Sam was like a businessman and 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 managed. You know, he really could run it right. But Henry, at some point, Sam realized that. Henry loved the games and, and Sam could trust and rely on Henry to curate the game. So like shout out to Henry Sam because the reason why Chinatown Fair still had um, you know certain games like Miss Pac-Man or you know certain ob- obscure fighting games like uh, Neo Neo Geo Cabinet and stuff like that. Dude, mm-hmm. that the reason why those games were there was 100% Henry. Sam allowed it, but Henry made sure, like, to have a good arcade, you got to have the classics, even if they're not going to make a ton of money, right? Because and even he, he would also, important. like you said, bring in obscure games because e- even though they may be obscure, they're, they're still fan bases, especially, you know, at that arcade, which yes. the FTC was very big at. And also, let, let's, let's also mention the music gamers as well because they, they were a big Shout part of that. But please keep going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude sidebar music games i wish we had been able to make like a whole other film right that that was about the music gamers because for whatever reason we connected with the fighting games and honestly i feel like the fighting games were the heart and soul of the arcade but the rhythm games the rhythm gamers in that scene which there was some crossover too right like a lot of gamers like fighting a lot of that's actually something that people should should recognize more that some of the best fighting gamers spent serious time on DDR and in the group like it's it's connected man like they're both so competitive well one of the guys uh, my co-host Rodimus Prime Ronnie he uh he besides being a fighting game player he was very big in the DDR community as well he he was a he was a competitive DDR community player and it's kind of hard not to cross over considering you were all bunched yeah. up together in that one little L-shaped place. Yeah. Um, yeah, but back, yeah, I wish I could have gone into, and we, we did film some more of the dance stuff, but it just didn't really, you know, fit into the story we, we ended up telling. But Henry, so I knew Henry was had to be a main character. Um, and then when Henry opened Next Level, uh, sort of his response to the closing of Chinatown Fair akuma started working there and that's when we met akuma and when when akuma like when we met akuma um i think we were told i think we were introduced to akuma i think our our buddy ben fong might have told us yo you got if you met akuma that dude uh fucking lived in an arcade like when he was a teenager and that's when we were like what uh yeah introduce us to akuma and then we met him and we just connected man like we were just like I don't know, like, you know, when you just meet someone and you, you just feel a connection. Um, and we felt so blessed to, I don't know, like, 
be given an opportunity to tell Akuma's story, which um, was a really beautiful story, but a very personal and ch you know challenging story to tell. And um, yeah, I don't know. It felt like we took our we took our duty very serious. We wanted to really respect all the characters and treat them like with a lot of respect. Well, I feel that the film, by all means, like you said, Henry Chen is a main character in the movie. He's uh, one one of the main characters. But you're absolutely right. Akuma's story, by all means, it it, it resonates with this community. It, it his emotional feelings towards that place, and like you said, the the guy grew up in a, in an arcade. That's what a lot of us did. It, it, those places were our lives. If if you go back and hear some of the interviews that I've done with some of the people who lived and breathed arcades, uh, Akuma couldn't, couldn't be a better, a better, um, personification of people's mm -hmm. loves for mm -hmm. those, for those machines, you know, just not just arcade, the machines mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's cool. And, um, but, uh, going back to that, like I said, Henry Sen, he's the business minded gamer. Akuma is the yeah. emotionally, he, he's mm -hmm. the emo a, emotional yeah. gamer. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's totally and, true. I mean, Henry did, Henry did allow us to, he kind of gave us the, because, because the story of the arcade is, is two stories, right? It's the story of the gamers, but it's also the story of the business because at the end of the day, the arcade has to make money to stay open. And of course, Henry understood that. So it's like Henry was the dude that when street fighter four came out and Capcom said that they weren't going to make any, um, cabinets for the north american market henry was like we need it like the the community the fighting game scene fighting game community needs these cabinets in chinatown fair because if it's not chinatown fair where right and uh he found a way to do it and i found that story so inspiring man it's like you know it's like so many people you know find themselves in a shitty situation and they just say well there's nothing i can do about it right but Henry said, how are we going to get Street Fighter 4 in China Fair? And what's fucking cool is that he got those, you know, he bought the cabinets from China off, you know, not Capcom cabinets. He just got the boards from Japan, got parts from China, mm -hmm. built the cabinets, got Street Fighter 4 in Chinatown Fair before the, the console release. Yes. That's what's up, man. So the only place you could play Street Fighter 4 not only on a cabinet, but like at all, unless you had, I don't know, unless you had some sort of pirated shit, was at Chinatown Fair. <laughs> that shit, dude, I wish I had been at Chinatown Fair the week that Henry got that cabinet, because got the game in the, the arcade, because I heard it was just like, they were doing all night sessions. Did you, were you there at all during that moment? I wasn't there when it was first showed up, but I did show up maybe a week later and the lines going out of this place were out of this world. I mean, you need to understand something. 2009 Street Fighter 4 comes out and it revitalizes the fighting game genre. A lot of people yeah. called that every um, that time um, from 2009 to, I want to say 2015, 2016, the, the golden age, the revival, because oh, uh, that game... Of course, yes. That that game, man. I mean, the previous years, uh, God bless games like Super Street Fighter Two Turbo and Mall versus Capcom Two, but that game revitalized the yeah. scene that was basically almost dead. Uh, you know, it brought new fans, it brought new eyes to it, and what Henry was able to do, and like you said, he he literally built these custom made cabinets also to um, 
to show the the new way that uh that a lot of gamers would play with the Japanese components, Asian components, which is the buttons and the joystick much more sensitive compared to the American HAP and um and I forget the other name brand, the the HAP mainly. But uh yeah, it it gave everybody an opportunity because uh if there's one thing the fighting game community especially here is they wanted to keep up with the Japanese counter um you know, the Japanese players, the Asian players. Is I know, right. and Henry Sen basically um, said it himself. We have to keep up with them because if not, our competition comes over here. We're just going to get completely destroyed. And God bless the guy for doing that. That's cool. Yeah, and you know what else? I just it just occurred to me. Um, we happened to capture like the beginning, not the very beginning, but part of the beginning of of streaming um, fighting games. Like Twitch, oh, like yes. it was like early, like like when we were filming that shit, like people, the like the vast majority of the population did not have any idea that people were DIY live streaming event, fight, you know, video game events, right? Now it's like mainstream, but like Spooky, <laughs> shout out to Spooky, man, like that's a whole other movie, right? Like 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 how that guy and his crew like started streaming in Chinatown Fair, like. They actually were streaming Street Fighter 4. I mean, you probably saw them. I mean, they were doing that before the arcade closed in 2010, 2009 even. That's like early days of live streaming. Now, let's talk about uh, Akuma for a second. Like you said, you have to deal with that one. You have to deal with it with, with sensitive gloves, I guess, because, you know, his, yeah. his story is, uh, you know, it's very deep storyline. And uh, I think you captured it very well on film. And it's, again, you you go from Henry Sen, who's down to earth. He could talk to you, um, you know, about anything, competitive gamer, businessman. And then you go to Akuma, who's just had a child rough, uh, excuse me, a rough childhood, rough adulthood. Like, how, how do you approach that? You know, because a, a lot of people would see a guy like him and would, think it's like, oh, no, I'm not, you know, it's like, he, he looks like he's mm -hmm. having a bad day or, you know, it's like, I, I don't want to mess with this guy, even though he did work there. I'm sure everybody loved, uh, you know, loved whoever worked there. But again, like you said it yourself, how, how do you approach that subject? You know, it, it was just like, just on a human level, like on a real life, like, you know, like not even thinking about the movie, just thinking about like connecting with with him in you know in the moment and forming a friendship you know it's like and what we what like the connection we formed him me and irene allowed us to ask him those questions and ask him you know i think it, it's it's something that like requires like you have to be authentic and real like not, nothing can be faked right like when you're talking to somebody about their life and if you want them to open up and share it with you you need to be for real and i think akuma sensed that we were for real and that we really wanted to uh listen you know like we just fucking listen man like that's like the key to, if you want to be a filmmaker a documentary filmmaker or a journalist or a podcaster or whatever it's like you ask a question and then you listen and you listen hard. And that's what we did. And, and like, I don't know why he trusted us, man, but like he did. And like, he told us things that he'd never told other people. 
with a fucking camera on and that showed how much he trusted us and it's like anybody that like wants to question you know we were total outsiders to the scene but in a way that was a benefit right because we didn't go into the fighting game scene or like with any sort of preconceived notions or anything like that so we were just like blank slates tell us what you know and i think that's like that was the approach from day one and and it it seemed it worked you know and uh like you said he opened up a lot to you um he opened up about his struggles i'm sure he opened up about a ton of things and you're doing this documentary and like you said it yourself you're an outsider to this community and you know with him i guess the in a weird way even though you're still outsiders uh you're taking it all in when that film was done could you say that he represents uh, he represents the highest of highs and the lowest of lows in the community, as in like you know the lowest when his heart was taken out when that arcade mm-hmm. uh, died down, and the highest when next level it was popping, everything like that. You get what I'm saying? Like, is that a good representation of him? Yeah, for sure. I think you nailed it. I think I think you're we 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 spent time with a lot of other people and filming and, and capturing their stories and ultimately compared to what akuma's story showed us it was the ultimate it really was it, it's like he showed us the highest highs and the lowest lows and kept it real in a way that is universal you know you don't have to be a gamer to appreciate his story um definitely and yeah. I think a lot of us in the FGC were, you know, at least people who have seen that um, documentary, I'm sure they they were touched because a lot of them basically have experienced what he's experienced. And I'm sure he's very grateful that uh, you were able to capture all of that. Thank you. So um, moving on, you you then introduced another cat, uh, another character, another person, um, Lonnie. Mm. He's an arcade um, entrepreneur. In, in the sense that he opens up fun centers, uh, family centers, funny guy. You know, I, I wish I yes. could have met him. I only know him from that documentary. He looks like a really fun guy to be around. But I, how did you meet him? You know, like, how, um, what, what was it? This basically, is funny. Um, oh, go ahead. Well, basically, we were filming... Okay, so we're like filming and we're like, this movie is about the last arcade in New York City. We're going to call it the Lost Arcade. And it's the story of Chinatown Fair, right? Um, we're filming just random B-roll. So just like sh- footage of Chinatown one night. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, and we, we head down Mott Street. We want to get a shot of the building that, that Chinatown Fair is at. It's closed, right? Like, you know, the, the gate's down and it's nighttime. And we end up we we end up in front and we notice that the gates pulled up and somebody's sweeping the inside. And right. I say, start rolling. So we start filming and some guy walks out, he's like, Hey, what are you guys doing? And I say, Hey, I'm Kurt, we're making a documentary about Chinatown Fair. What's going on? And he's like, Oh, it's gonna reopen. I'm Lonnie. And then he no, he didn't tell us like he was the one reopening it, but he said, I'm Lonnie. I said, all right, cool. Like, well, I actually freaked out because I was like, whoa, like this totally changes the whole movie. 
which was good because it's a more interesting story. But at that moment, all I could think of was like, oh boy, we have way more work to do. We got to, we got to, we got to start filming again. Um, so that's how I met Lonnie that night. That was Lonnie Sobel, man. <laughs> but it, it, he's a funny guy. Cause again, he, yeah. you know, according to the documentary, uh, he's been doing, he's been at this for a long time. I mean, the guy's got grandkids and he still runs a ton of businesses specifically around arcade machines, but in a weird way, um, at that point, how long <laughs> have you been filming? Oh my God. Maybe over a year, probably a year. Okay. So in that year you've been, uh, you know, you've been taking in a lot of information you've been taking in a lot of, uh, this community, how close it was and how dear that arcade was Lonnie comes around, he opens it up. And I do remember vaguely on the internet, like you said, there's a lot of haters on the internet, but in a weird way, he was, he was cast as a, as the bad, as a bad guy by the community, because by this point, I believe next level was opened up. Um, that was the yeah. place to go for all the Chinatown Fair refugees. And when this arcade is said that it's going to be opened back up again, like you saw it yourself, you were there, you you filmed it. Yeah. A lot of people was like, "Yes, it's opening, it's opening back up." Thank you, thank you, thank you. But is it safe to say that the majority of people just they, they went in, in it with complete blinders? They obviously they didn't know Lonnie. He uh, he just came out of left field. And one of the first things he did was clean the place up. You know, it's a, it was a grimy, dirty yeah. place, but that was the charm of it. it did you feel right. that he was cast as a bad guy by everybody uh, around the idea that, oh, he's opening up the arcade, so it must be the old ways that, you know, we remembered it? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think most people thought that he fucked it up by painting it bringing in all these like redemption games which suck if they suck if you're not like on a date or five years old um his whole idea of what the new china fair arcade will be was so different than what sam had and that the community was used to um but so yeah i think fault? it's fair to say yes and no i think it's just i mean it's, it was a decision he made, right, to rebrand it. To, he, his goal was to create a mini Dave & Buster's that would, the business model he wanted would be, would rely on birthday parties and redemption games. He had no interest in serving the fighting game community. There was not a single fighting game in the arcade when he opened. Um, but well, to, to, his... to, uh, to say that real quick, um, there was a point in the documentary where I believe one of his grandkids, uh, he was talking to when it was grand, uh, when it was the grand opening, I, I believe there mm -hmm. was a, well, there was a part in the documentary where one of them said, oh, my grandfather just doesn't like the, the teenagers yeah. hanging out. So in, in, a, in a weird way, he, you're absolutely right. He didn't, uh, unfortunately, the majority of people who did that at that arcade was the fighting game community. Right. But, you know, luckily he put that re-rave cabinet. Shout out to re-rave. Whatever happened to re-rave, dude? Is, is there, did they I, keep that series going or was it just a one-off? I have no idea. Steve, do you know if it, if it continues? Because I have no idea. I'm not into rhythm games. 
Okay, cool. Well, shout out to that team because because that game sort of like showed Lonnie because Chinatown Fair was going to close again, man. His whole concept bombed. It just was going out of business again. And one game was keeping it alive. It was re-rave, a rhythm game that was bringing in all the rhythm gamers. And, And he realized, okay, we need to get more of these games. We need to get more games that are competitive. And so he started getting, he brought in um, a couple dance games and, and some Japanese rhythm games. And then I think he also added a fighting game or two, actually, eventually. But it never really, right. I feel like, I don't think it ever really reclaimed the fight. I don't know, did this fighting game community really go the new, there at all now? From my understanding, no. I mean, there's no reason yeah. for them to have ever gone back there. And the documentary itself, uh, you could clearly hear as Henry said, you know, he thought it was a stupid idea to do it because I, I personally thought it was a weird, um, a weird idea to open it up considering where it's at. Because Chinatown Fair had survived all those years after every major arcade closed because all the arcade gamers is like, well, this is the last one we have. I, I don't think he did much research on um, <laughs> that, you know, that, that arcade after it closed down. But that's just me. I, I don't know. I don't know the guy. That's just my speculation. I mean, listen, Lonnie is a businessman who does love arcades. Like, that's what that's what's redeeming, right? Like, Lonnie isn't an evil, but he's not like, you know, um, the, the arcade owner from uh, Wayne's World, where it's just like the guy's just doing it to make money. It's like Lonnie does love arcades, right? Um, and I feel like he did allow Chinatown Fair to be reborn. And shout out to Leo, the manager, who was a part of the community and really has fostered a positive place there. And I, I talked to Lonnie pre-pandemic, and he was doing really well. He said the arcade had been had found its feet, and which surprised I, I not it didn't surprise me. It just surprised me at how positive and optimistic he was. And he was even trying to figure out if they could expand the the footprint, you know, into the building next door somehow. You know, right, right. So I heard about. So that. I mean, yes. I'm. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, you know, he pulled it off, man. And, like, the world's a better place with Chinatown Fair open, even if it's not the uh, same old Chinatown Fair. That's the thing. Chinatown Fair has always changed, right? Every decade, it's it's a different place. Of course, of course. And, again, my my point was is that I I think it was kind of weird that the community, like, branded him as this bad guy because here's an outsider. He doesn't get it. But at the same time, guys, he's a completely different mindset. He he can't come in catering just only to one community because it's different changing times, you know. Listen, by that time, all arcades were basically dead. This thing was hanging on. You know, he bought it. He cleaned it up. It's it's loved by a lot of people. We're clearly showing the documentary. The rhythm gamers, they they loved it. They loved the atmosphere. Even some of the FGC, some of the guys who mentioned yeah. it, it's like, hey, listen, it's th- this is what it is. It's a family center. There's no drama. There's nobody fighting. And what's wrong with that? I just think it was a uh, mm-hmm. very it, it was very um, what's the word I'm looking for? It it, it it was wrong trying to you know for the community itself. Not that you did it, but it was wrong at the time that I think they branded him as the bad guy. Just because yeah, he we wasn't tried, sure. no. right, and we didn't want 
him to be this like villain, but at the same time, you had to show that, you know, he is an outsider and he did change this place that meant a lot to these people. And it like, like you said, it had to happen, right? Like, um, yes. it had to happen one way or another. And uh, I just, you know, it's an emotional response, man. Like, I think people were were so deeply emotionally connected to the memories in their life of this place. And that's that's just like life, right? Like, things don't last forever. And when you go back to like those places that you grew up going to, and they're different, you're always going to kind of like say, Oh, man, fuck that. Like, it was better back in the day, right? And it was better back in the day for you, but like there's a new, there's a new you at the Chinatown, right? There, there's a new group at Chinatown Fair, and they they are getting exactly what you got out of it, and that's beautiful. And that's I hope we showed that too. We kind of showed like, oh, like Lonnie kind of fucked it up for the the old people, but like, you know, he didn't do it to be mean. He did it to just because he's like, I have an idea to try to save this place. And he did allow it to become something else. You know, now it's less clean, right? Like there's graffiti on the walls now and it's feeling more, you know, that old spirit. It's like the ghosts are coming back. You know what? You uh, mentioned something that, you know, um, emotion. And uh, mm-hmm. after it opened up, uh, you cut away, I believe it was to next level. And you overheard Akuma going back to him for a second mm-hmm. saying, you know, I'm just going to visit it just to see it. And to me, Mm-hmm. That that scene, the next scene, may be the most powerful scene in the in the documentary, where you know he's you're filming him and he's looking up at Chinatown Fair, and you just you just see his face. Um, I believe that was Anthony outside telling him, "It's like I've seen that face yeah. before. It's like it's gone. <laughs> yeah. It's all gone." And again, yeah. I think I must have rewound that scene. I, and I'm talking about the scene where Akuma is walking through it and he's just, mm-hmm. you, you could clearly tell like he's walking through it and his soul is just being, just, he, he can't wait to get out. That, that by far, yeah. in my opinion, was the most powerful scene in the film. And like you said, you talked to him, he opened up to you. How was it filming that scene? You know, well, okay, first off, thank you, man. Uh, okay, that was a very difficult scene to film because Akuma, like, because making a film, a documentary is weird, right? Because it's like, it's not just a simply like, I'm gonna film you do something. It's like a collaboration, right? Like with, with the people on, ca- on camera. So like Akuma, Akuma became a partner, right? He became our filmmaking partner. And it's like, Akuma, we need to get you back to the arcade. Like for the story to come full circle, we need to see you at Chinatown Fair, like you need to do this, and he, and man, dude, he did not want to do it, and I because he knew that it was going to be very unpleasant for him to experience it, but he also knew that he had to do it, right? He had to do it eventually, and so we pushed him to do it. Admit, which is why I kept in the edit, I kept that part where he goes, "Can we leave now?" And yes he's talking to me off camera. And it's like, I left that in there because I didn't want people to think that like, you know, I was involved in this, right? Like the filmmaking was, a re- was, was created this situation. I didn't want to pretend like we just happened to be there and film him. Um, but I'm interested in, so it was very hard to film and it was very emotional for him. And um, it was intense, man. It was super intense, but 
you know, Anthony's like more funny about it. And, and you know, he's just like, he uses humor a lot to, to deal <laughs> with stuff. But Akuma was just like, fuck this, man, it sucks. Uh, but what, what did it make you feel, man? Like, why did that scene in particular, like, what, what did you take from it? Because I, I love scenes like that. First of all, thank you for not having no music in the background, because I think it really helped. You know, you, like, you see him walking through it, and the thing that I noticed is you could clearly tell is a different atmosphere. That's the one thing I mm -hmm. caught. You know, these are redemption yeah. machines. This is not a Street Fighter ma machine screaming Hadouken or a King of Fighters machine or Virtual Fighter, all that stuff, Maul versus Capcom too. And I, I wasn't emotionally attached to it like he was, but the thing that caught me was it's like, again, like we said before, uh, this is the screams of a community. This guy, that that emotion he was feeling was exactly what I knew. I, I want to say ninety percent of the people who went to that place was feeling, as if as as if like you know your soul is just completely crushed because you dedicated so much time, so much time, so many days, so many years to this place. That's why I love that scene. You know that that and of course and I I just also the camera. Yeah. Work. You know, again, you just, you really did, you really caught everything, I, I thought. You know, it, it's a it's a beautiful scene, man. Thank you, man. Yeah, I'm happy with the way that turned out because I do, it's a really important moment, right? And because you really feel, you can see what he's feeling very clearly. No, it's, it's a very sad scene, you know? It does make me think about, like, is there a world that like Chinatown Fair, like, okay, video games are like, I don't know, like they're not respected yet in a way that chess or even basketball, you know, it's like, it's like this thing that's like a, a, a distraction or a hobby and it's not serious, but it's like that uh, Chinatown Fair is is like the most important arcade in New York. It's like because it lasted, you know, it, it lasted longer than Broadway and Playland and, and all the other places. It it became very important. Like it's some like it should have been preserved. It should become a, not a museum, but it should it should have been saved. Like, like I uh, wish like the, the red walls, you know, like yes, it should be a landmark, right? At least a New York Shit, landmark. We should, we should start a petition, man. Right, good luck with that one, but that's neither here nor there, right? <laughs> it should definitely and be that, a, it should definitely be a landmark. And um, obviously, you said it yourself. We were with these people for about a year, so I'm sure you were with Henry all the way uh, with the opening of Next Level. And um, you see the he, he you know he's doing it because he loves the community. He understands. Um, New York itself is a uh, very competitive, very big FGC here, a uh, big community. Um, and he opens up next level. And um, I do remember, uh, I do remember, you know, uh, Henry going over when um, I believe the, I believe it wasn't fully opened yet, but I saw him talking to Lonnie. And uh, did, did you feel that Henry may have been bothered by this thing being opened again? And, and, and just like Akuma, just, like, I don't know. I just felt that he was just bothered by it. Was it mainly from the fact that uh, this guy was going to be competition or it's just another one of those? Uh, is he another one of those that it's like this thing should have stayed dead? 
You know, it's, it's I'm no longer here. He, I mean, he dedicated so much time of his life there. But what was it? I think it was partly like, yeah, he saw it as competition. And I think he would tell you that that's why he was upset. But I think it was deeper than that, too. I think it was he always, I don't know. I think part of him saw that he would one day run Chinatown Fair or, or like it was his rightful place i think he'd earned it well, you know what? So, i didn't even think about that you're absolutely right like he was the rightful heir to it yeah because he played you know he 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 was like sam's right hand man and really kept it going and worked on the machines i mean he started working there and he was like a kid sweeping the floors for you know five bucks a day or whatever yeah, so, so it was just really emotional it was really it was upsetting for him to see somebody else take it over and, and make it their own. And I think he wished he had the opportunity to do that. You know, it's funny, you you say that and I completely forgot about that. You know, like a lot of people forget how long Henry, Henry's had uh, worked at Chinatown Fair. It's a, he, he, I mean, I believe he was there about 10 plus years or maybe even 15, but you know what? Uh, God bless him. He opens up next level. Um, he brings the community with him, even though it was a little bit far away in Brooklyn. That's just me coming from Westchester. Mm-hmm. But he's able to manage to, you know, keep this community together. Uh, you were there at Next Level. Um, obviously, very different. Now you have sit down. Um, uh, you have the cabinets there, obviously. But now it's more um, new generation gaming, uh, new generation casual gaming, as some people like to call it where basically it's, uh, you know, you bring your own controller, you have a monitor, arcade machines are just uh, no longer no longer there. And again, you were there. Did, did you feel the same emotion and love that um, a lot of those players felt uh, at Chinatown Fair? Or basically at this point, it's a brand new generation of gamers coming in who never experienced that. Well, what did you feel? I, I think it definitely had the similar spirit to Chinatown Fair. Um, but but it was Henry's version, right? And Henry is such a serious competitive gamer. I like I feel like he was really like the sensei of that of that he was like a it was like a dojo he made. He act he actually talked about it in those terms. He wanted to make a place for people to come together and train. Uh, he wanted people to take it very seriously and respect it as a sport. Um, but there was still like the other side of it, which was a social element. It's like, this is a place for, for people that have the, that are passionate about fighting games to come together and hang out and talk about it. And, and just like, you know, share their lives, life, life, you know, have some fun together. Um, so I felt like that was still the same. I do feel like, you know, it, the, the, having the cabinets and having quarters or swipe or whatever, it is a different vibe than just TVs with the with the controllers. It's it's not the same, but and I don't know why, but there's just something to it about having like a big machine and having people gathered around it watching. Um, but you know they they but they added things new, like they built in like the you know the the projector that which would project, you know, the, the top matches going on on the, on the tournament nights. And the, those tournament nights were huge. I think, you know, it, it, it's very different than Chinatown Fair. You know, you had to pay to get in. So you didn't have people that weren't gaming hanging out, which 
to Henry was great, right? Because he's a businessman and he wanted people to be paying to make money. But, you know, you do lose out on the vibe, right? Because there's a lot of cool people that like, like myself, like, you know, I wouldn't have, I don't know if I would be able to walk. I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay to enter next level maybe, but I, you know, if, Ch if Chance on Fair charged me to go in, I don't know if I ever made what would have made the movie. So you are losing out on some of the vibe by charging admission, right? It's kind of, it's different, but. Well, of course, uh, because one thing that arcade machines do and even pinball machines, it's, you know, you, you, you hear the sounds uh, that, that draws people in. You know, you, you hear uh, buttons being mashed as loud as they were. You hear pinballs going around. You see these lights. And that was the magic of arcades. Like you said, you lose something because now a place like Next Level, okay, it's a dojo. It's a training dojo for a lot of the competitive gamers. But at the same time, it's hard to draw in somebody new who, uh, yeah. you, you know, who, hey, maybe this is going to be the future. I mean, the most perfect example would be the... The rhythm gamers, uh, I believe his name was uh, Jose Irizarry. I mean, he even mentioned it. Uh, he was playing at the new Chinatown Fair, and a bunch of kids came in because they were just intrigued about what the heck is going on in here. So it's obviously yeah. two different, two different uh, models of uh, of business, right? Yeah, exactly. That yeah, you totally nailed it. Yeah, I guess that makes sense, right? I mean, that's why I think rhythm gamers started gravitating towards Chinatown Fair and. Um, there was a moment where Next Level had in the had the in the groove machine that used to be at CF, and that was fun, but it took up a lot of space, and I don't think it really served Henry's overall mission, which was to really serve the fighting game community. And uh, you know, again, uh, the documentary was very good, and um, I guess one question because somebody did uh, ask me to see uh, to ask you about it. Uh, you know, Chinatown sure. Fair was well known for a lot of characters in there. We're talking about, uh, you know, some of uh, Sanford Kelly, top <clears throat> New York player, uh, you know, Yipes, um, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, fighting GM. A, uh, again, uh, just a lot, a lot of, of top players, uh, you know, just in and out of that place. And somebody had wanted me to ask, it's like, why were, were you... Um, approached or so um for maybe possibly having those people be the characters or right away and did, did you see it's like you know what everybody already knows them even though they do have history here guys like henry and akuma would be much better storytellers let us know about that yeah no it's um oh i i feel really bummed especially about not having justin wong in the film um he was living in california at that moment. Um, but regarding the other guys, I don't know, man. Like, I think because um, we were outsiders and we were making a story, making a film that we wanted, you know, like we could only make the film we knew how to make. And while I respected Yipes and I respected Kelly and, and all the other, t and Chris G was, was a rising phenom at the moment. And, um, Dude, there were so many top players, right? And um, but you know what? Like we just connected with the people that we connected with there, and we kind of like that's the thing. Like we didn't make the perfect movie for everyone. We just made the movie that we that we were like feeling and, and the vibe, and um, it just you know, and, and also like 
I don't know. Like it was a collaboration with Henry. It was a collaboration with Puma. It's just sort of like, like you said, their stories we really connected with. And um, it ultimately, <clears throat> it ultimately became a story, not so much about like, there's a lot of details of, of, of fighting games that I found very interesting that would, that I, I didn't know how to make into the movie, you know, cause it would have become a much more, you know, in the nitty gritty of like, like gamers probably would have liked it more, but it wouldn't have been like, I wanted to make a movie that like showed people that were outside of fighting games, like how amazing fighting games are. And to do that, like we had to like, tell the emotional story, the human story, not just like the competitive story. Did you succeed in your journey doing that? I think so. Are you satisfied with the, with the end result? For sure. Yeah, I really am. I think, you know, if, I, I, it's hard for me to watch now because I see, I just see all the things that I would do differently today, but I can definitely watch it and feel like we made the best film we could make and that we respected everybody in it. And I think um, I'm really glad we did it because I think it's a really important story for people to understand. And, and we called it the lost arcade because we, we felt like the arcade was being lost and that it should be saved and whatever that means, you know, in the future, whatever an arcade means. And next level is an example of, of, of that. Of course, of course. Hey, listen, man, it was a lot of fun. I want to say thank you once again for uh, coming on with us. I know I know, um, you have to run real quick, but before you go, uh, where could people reach out to you? You know, uh, what are your social media outlets? Yeah, man, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun talking. Um, it means a lot that the movie oh man thank you for coming on with us um yeah hit me up where uh, i'm on instagram the 26 aries that's two six underscore underscore aries a-r-i-e-s on on instagram and twitter all right man thank you very much guys that's kurt vincent director of the lost arcade available on amazon prime is it available anywhere else yeah yeah it's on um you can rent it on pretty much all the different rental places and like iTunes or Apple TV. Um, it's on this thing. If you have a library card, you can watch it for free, most likely on an app called Canopy. That's K-A-N-O-P-Y. I'm a big fan of Canopy. It's for free. It has amazing movies you can stream. A lot of video game movies too. Um, yeah, man. <laughs> Yeah, man, a lot of video game movies have been made. I mean, sometimes I watch Amazon Prime, and after I saw yours, I'm like, oh, look, another video game uh, movie. Uh, not as good as Hopefully. yours, I will say that. Thank you. And, 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 Thank you. Know, you. I'm just not Thank saying you. Just to be a nice guy, but yeah, a lot of them are bad. We got to do um, – I'm starting to feel like soon we should do a little post-script sequel, you know, like where is like where's the scene now? Like what's happening? Hey, listen, man, if you want to do that, by all means, I would completely uh, be behind you. I think it would be Word. awesome, especially here for the New York scene, because, again, the film does mainly talk about the legendary uh, Chinatown Fair Arcade. Um, yeah. I, I, I would definitely. I mean, wh why the heck not? You know what I'm saying? I, I think that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Cool. But, yeah. I'd uh, listen, to find man. out like, what the next generation's doing. 
Oh, definitely, man. Especially uh, since you captured so well the beginning of the uh, quote unquote 2009 golden age. Uh, you know, mm. it would be for a great follow up. But once again, man, Kurt, I really appreciate you coming on with us. Thank you for sharing uh, your thought process, how the movie came around. Thank you for sharing all the emotions you went through. You said it yourself. You were not uh, you and your um, partner were not hardcore gamers, but you saw a great story to tell there because every niche and by all means, finding um, finding games are a niche within the gaming community as a whole. Yeah, you saw what may possibly be one of the most, you know, tight-knit groups there is in gaming. Oh, thanks, man. means a lot. And, and once again, guys, uh, the, thank you for joining us. The podcast is, gonna, is available at Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio Podcast. Once again, shout-outs to affiliates, Acquire Clothing, Sultimia Art. Podcast... Um, you know where to find it. Video is going to be available on YouTube and Twitch. And again, Kurt, thank you once again, man. It was a pleasure talking yeah. to you. It was really nice. I enjoyed right. it. Peace out. All right, man. Peace out. That was a lot of fun, guys. Take care. This has been... A KPB Media Works production.